in June of 2019, May, actually May of 2019, I got a call from one of our sister churches that they were having financial issues and they figured up that they would could be in, in they've got enough money, they, they were on fixed income, it was a small church, they knew what they were spending, they knew what they had coming in, they knew what they had in the bank, and they said, Brother Tim, we know that in nine months we're not going to be a church. We don't know what to do. So this association got together and we talked about it, and the New Duck River Baptist Association, in cooperation, purchased the property. Didn't purchase it. We assumed a loan of $80,000 on the El Bethel Baptist Church property on 31A, uh, 41A with the intention of being a church planning location, starting Spanish churches and starting other churches, and with the intention of starting a Spanish seminary. I'm here to report to you that a year ago we started up the process there. Uh, after We came through COVID with nothing going on. We started it up a year ago. Now we have 12 Hispanic men going through seminary on that campus. We have a Spanish church meeting in the sanctuary running anywhere from 60 to 75 each Sunday. The last Sunday I was at El Bethel, they had 16 there. Okay, And then in the gymnasium part in the back, we have a cowboy church. If y'all have never been to cowboy church, you need to go some night when they're having cowboy church. I don't send them but some night and just go visit a cowboy church. They are reaching people that you and I wouldn't even talk to on the street. They're going places to reach people that you and I wouldn't even be seeing, much less your car parked out in the parking lot. But they're reaching people for Christ. So this association has taken a church that has died, that was dying. And now we don't have one church. We've got two churches in it and we have a Spanish seminary. So I want to thank you for the way that you support the association to be a part of that mission up there. And I just encourage you to go by there and look someday. Each 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 uh, night, with the exception of, I think, Friday night, there's something going on on that property. Either the Cowboy Church has something going on in their place back there, or the Spanish Church has something going on up front, whether it's a rehearsal or a Bible study or a small group or recovery group for the Spanish church, for the Cowboy Church. The Cowboy Church has now started three other churches from that church. I expect that once we get the Spanish guys trained up, we're going to start a bunch of Spanish churches in the area. So thank you again for all that you do there, for the way that you work through the association in that area there. If you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, I want to ask that you turn to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. Can I tell you that all I ever wanted to be in life was a motorcycle mechanic? When I graduated from high school, I was the shyest kid in my class of 66. I was a preacher's kid. Wanted nothing to do with furthering my education beyond that. I worked in a motorcycle shop, had gone to mechanic school, was loving that life. Very much an introvert in a lot of ways. This is, this is hard for me to do sometimes as I stand and speak in front of people. Motorcycles don't talk back to you. You know, you can sit there and fool with them all day long and they don't fool with you. You know, they don't talk back to you. That was what I always thought God was going to call me to be, was be a motorcycle mechanic. I didn't, I couldn't think of doing anything else but that. But because of some events that happened in my life, and some of y'all know my story, the Lord took my dad home quickly. Uh, he started speaking to me and then I did something I didn't think I'd ever do. Two years after high school, I went to college. Went to Little Baptist College in Mississippi. Accepted the ministry call to music ministry. Got my degree in church music, theory comp. 
Later on, went on seminary. Never thought I'd do that. And finished two degrees at seminary. So God will use you to do great and mighty things if you will allow him to use you in doing that. One of the things that they taught us in seminary was the best way to preach to your people is with a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other. And you bring those two together somewhere. I'm not gonna, we're not going to use the newspaper today, but we're going to use the world events that you know that's going on. We're living, I believe, in the last days. I don't believe it's going to be too long. You know, you've, hear, you've been hearing people preach this for 200 years. But there's this thing called convergence. Jesus talked about the end of time. And there are so many signs that are converging together now that I believe it's going to be soon. And I can't wait for that. But what we're going to look at this morning is we're going to look at the after effects of the return of Christ. And it's found in, in, in Revelation chapter 7. I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. Beginning down in verse 9, this is, this is a, a group of people that have gathered. And If you're a follower of Christ, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to be at this place. Okay, But let's, let's read it for just a second. After this, I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. We're going to look at a few things today, and if you, if you write down the title of sermons, if you take notes, the title of this sermon is Why? Just simply, why? But before we go there, let's go to the one who gave us this verse this morning. Father, Father, we thank you for this picture that you've given us in Revelation and also back in Ezekiel and Daniel and some of the other prophets, Lord, of, of, of end times. But Father, we thank you for this revelation that, that John the Revelator wrote down to give us a picture of where we're all headed. We're all headed to a great white throne judgment. We're all headed to the time at the end where we're standing around the throne and, and those of us who know you, Father, as, as our Father, Lord, through Jesus Christ, He will stand up and say, they're mine. But those that don't know Him, Lord, there's going to come a time of judgment as to where they're going to spend their eternity. Father, as we look at this this morning, I pray that you just speak to us in a mighty way and give us a challenge, Lord, and give us, give us a, a, a courage, Lord, to go from where we are to be missionaries wherever you choose to place and plant us. Not only today, not only this week, but in the, in the months and the years to come as long as you tarry. And then, Father, we look forward to that time when we could stand around your throne worshiping you because of what Jesus did for each one of us. Father, not only here, but around the association and around the state of Tennessee and the United States and around the world, Lord. Today there are churches, there are preachers, there, there are prison systems. There are places where people are gathered to listen to your word. I pray, Father, wherever your word is preached this day, that you would reach down to the hearers and that you would encourage them with your words. Perhaps there's someone that doesn't know you that will receive you this day, Father. Wherever your word is preached, I pray that you bless it. But right now, Lord, as we listen, we're going to hear different things in this room. We're going to hear the air conditioner. We're going to hear... Pages turning, people whispering, laughter, babies crying, Lord. 
Among all that we hear, may we hear you most of all. May we hear the shuffling of sandaled feet as you pass our way. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the end. You know, one of the other things that whenever you're a writer, whenever you're a preacher, they'll also tell you, think about what the end of your sermon is supposed to take you to and then build your sermon toward that direction. You know, so this is the end of the sermon this morning. Revelations chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. This is the end of the world as we know it when we're all standing before Christ. This is the end, but we're going to start backwards. We're going to build this thing backwards today instead of forward, okay? I'm, I'm going to start at point four, which is what we just looked at. We're going to look at point three, point two, and then point one, okay? As we look through God's Word this morning and answer the question, why? Why? I asked this question a couple of weeks ago down in Florida. Not, I didn't preach this sermon, but I asked this question. And it, the, the question just kind of popped out. You know, it wasn't one of those questions that I had scribbled in my notes or anything like that. But the question was, was this question. Why are you here today? I could hear the wheels turning in the auditorium. Why, why are you here today? Are you here because it's a habit? It's your place to be on Sunday morning. Are you here because, you know, a parent, a grandparent dragged you here or mom or dad or somebody? Are, are you here because it's, it's tradition? Maybe you're Baptist and this is where you're supposed to be on Sunday morning? Are you here for the fellowship? Are you here to learn? Are you here to be changed, challenged, to go out and make a difference where God places each one of you each day, each week, that only you can go? I hope that the answer to that question today for you is, I'm here to learn how to be on mission for the Lord so that whenever I get here, Revelation chapter 7, I will have people standing around me and near me that I brought here. We don't think about some things all the time, but I think about this quite often, is every person that's ever lived, every person that lives today, and every person that's going to be born and lived in the future, live in the future, every person is going to spend eternity somewhere. Every person. And there is no three places. There's only two. And we don't hear enough sermons about hell. But there's a lot of people around us that's going to spend eternity there. They won't be at this time of rejoicing that we see here. They'll come at the judgment period. They won't come at the rejoicing period. But every person we encounter this side of heaven, this side of the grave, this side of the rapture is going to spend eternity somewhere. So here, point one is there's a great crowd. We see this great crowd here assembled together. It's a great crowd that no man could number. It's a great crowd from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, every all around the world. And you know, in, in Middle Tennessee, we have languages we don't really often think about. We know that there's English. We know that there's Spanish. 
But you know what the third largest outside of the Somalian language? You know what the third largest, and I'm not sure the Somalians even, the language is even in this mix now because so many of them left. We had a mission field for a while that was sent to us, you know. But the third largest language outside there is an Asian language. You've got English, Spanish, Japanese. It's the third largest language in the area. We don't have a Japanese church here. God sends people to us all the time that we can be evangelizing, that we can be teaching. We've got several churches involved in, uh, well, they were until COVID, the student exchanges. And, and they would bring kids in and they would, they would share Christ with them. And those kids would leave that, that area after a year and they'd go back. Some of them knowing Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they'd go back and they'd be evangelists where they are. But every tribe, every nation, every language, every tongue is at this great white throne celebration here. And, and it's our goal is to take as many as we can with us to this. And we see them every day here in Shelbyville. The mission field is right here. You don't have to go to a farm. It's right here. It's right here. It begins right here. So there is a great here. There is a great crowd that's here, that's, uh, that's living here. This is a few numbers from Pew Research that, that I think is real interesting. And some of y'all have heard me speak on this before, and I know these numbers change a little bit along the way, but for the most part, they don't. But, but according to P, the, the Pew Institute, Gallup, Barna, and Lifeway Research, in Middle Tennessee, 51% of the folks in Middle Tennessee do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That means one out of every two people, you go to Walmart and you see that you don't know where they stand with Christ. One out of every two people are lost and dying and going to a Christless hell. Let that sink in. I think it's a greater number than that. I think it's more like 75%. Well, Brother Tim, why do you say that? Well, on occasion, I go out and do what I call a community survey. And a community survey is on a Sunday morning during worship service, during Sunday school, in a one and three five mile, one three and five mile radius out from that country church or that city church, I'll get in my car and I'll drive around and I'll count units, housing units, living units, apartments, whatever. I'll count the units and then I'll count the cars in the parking lot or in the driveway. And what I've discovered is there are more people at home on Sunday morning than there are at church. Probably upwards of seventy-five to eighty percent of the people in this area don't even go to church on a Sunday morning, or they didn't that Sunday morning. Did you know that 90% of lost people, listen to this one, 90% of lost people know a Christian. Did you know that 89% of the people that you encountered every day, if you ask, hey, would you like to come to vacation Bible school? Or would you like to come to church? Or would you like to come to a small group or a ladies' study? Or, did you know that 89% of the people would say yes just by an invite? Did you know you've told a lie on this next one? You've been told they won't listen. But did you know that 87% of the people that are lost that do not know Jesus Christ would listen to your testimony in a gospel presentation? If you don't believe that they're hungry, look at TV. Look at the movies. How many of these movies and TV programs are all spiritually based toward trying to discover something, you know, there, there's a discovery there, you know. I don't watch a lot of TV. I couldn't tell you all the names of all of them, but I see the themes, and it's people that are searching. 
They're searching to fill something in their life they don't have. So 87% of the people are searching and would listen to your testimony in a gospel presentation. And, and I always hate sharing this last little statistic. And I'm just as guilty as anybody else. Only 8% of us, eight percent of us in this room, and I believe it's a lot less than that, ever take the time to share the gospel to people that would listen. I don't want you to raise your hands, but when's the last time you ever told somebody about Jesus? Let that sink in. I'm not talking about on Sunday morning during worship service. I'm not talking on during a special event. I'm talking about out in the world. When is the last time you've told somebody about Jesus or you've invited them to church? There's a program that was going around called Who's Your One? Okay? I don't know if y'all heard it, but Who's Your One? It was a, a program put out by the North American Mission Board that the main focus in that Who's Your One is you identify one lost person in your concentric circle of influence where you live, one lost person, you write their name down, you pray for them for 40 days, and then you either share the gospel with them or you invite them to church. Just one person. Look around this room. If, you, if everyone in this room did that and that person came to know Christ as their Lord and Savior, this room would double in size in 40 days. One person. Vacation Bible School is a place to start it too. It really is. So there is a great crowd. Secondly, there's a great command. Okay, there's a great command. Turn them with me over into Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. If you have a red letter, letter edition of the Bible, the Mark chapter 12 is a uh, red letter edition. Okay, it's, it's got red written, written in it there. Okay. So, and that means it's who, spilt, who spoke these words? Jesus. Now, this is a great command from Jesus himself, okay? He was being tricked by an attorney. And the attorney was being hired by a bunch of Jewish leaders. And they asked this attorney, you need to go trick Jesus in a, into a place where he blasphemes God and where we can, we can charge him for insurrection and murder him. So the question was, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That is a Jewish command. They recite that in their worship service. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. But Jesus said there's a second command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. This is called the great command. The great command is, number one, love God. Number two, love your neighbor. There's no greater commands than that. Let's follow the logic on this for just a second, okay? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Can I tell you, that if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength, you're going to do the second one. You're going to love your neighbor. And if you are a follower of Christ, if you love God and you love your neighbor as you love yourself, then you're going to tell them about Jesus. Love God 
Love your neighbor, share Christ. That is a great command. If you don't love God, you don't share Christ. But if you really, truly love God, the greatest commandment, and you love yourself, you love your neighbor, you're going to share Jesus Christ with them. Great crowd. Great command. You know, there are six levels of missionaries. Very quickly. Six levels of missionaries that's taught around the world, and especially in Southern Baptist life. There's an international missionary. They go places we can't go. There's a North American missionary. They go places we can't go. Okay, We can't go more on the North American side than we can on the international side because of restrictions. Then there's state missionaries. You know some of those guys. You've met them. The Tennessee Baptist Convention has state missionaries. There's associational missionaries. I'm that guy, you know. Okay. Then there's pastors. Your pastor's a missionary. Your pastor is leading you to be a missionary. But I think the greatest missionary of the six, of the international, the national, the state, the local, the pastor, is you, the people in the pew. You all are the greatest missionaries because you can go places I can't go. You can go places Brother Stephen can't go. You can go places your spouses can't go or your kids can't go or your kids can go places you can't go. But what we're supposed to do is love God, love our neighbor, and love our neighbor like ourselves, and tell them about Jesus. So we got a great crowd. We got a great command. We're going. We're going to look at the next one now. Acts chapter one verse eight. Okay, go back to Acts. Acts of the apostles. If you go back over there to chapter one verse eight. By the way, there are three great commands that Jesus gives us. This is one of the three great commands that He gives us here. Chapter 1, verse 8, you've read this. This is also in what color? If you've got a red-letter edition Bible, it's in red, right? Okay. This is a very, very misunderstood verse in the Bible. Okay, and let me tell you how it is. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. That's the, that's the key word, be my witnesses, in Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I wish we had we could spend the rest of our time just dissecting this one verse and looking at this verse and looking to see what it really means. It's very much a misunderstood verse. When you go back and look at the missionaries, you know, the the international, the national, the state, the association, the pastor and yourself, you know, and then we read this verse and it says, When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that's that's the one that really is misunderstood by a lot of folks. But what that really, really, really means all the way down to the bottom base level is the Holy Spirit coming up on you is the point of salvation. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you get saved, that's the point of salvation. The only way that you can be saved according to the Scriptures is if God calls you. You can't do it on your own. The Holy Spirit has to come and convict you. You can't do it on your own. God has to come inside and live within you. You can't. When the Holy Spirit of God comes up on you, you're saved. The next word says, be. Be. It's an emphatic command. It doesn't say, if you want to, if you'd like to. It says, be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Home, neighborhood, community. Tennessee, United States, around the world. If you take each one of those, 
Jerusalem's your home where you live. Judea is is uh, United States. Samaria, I mean Tennessee. Samaria is United States, and to the ends of the earth is to the ends of the earth. So we've got a great crowd that's going there. We've got a great command: love your neighbor, love God. We've got a a, a great challenge. The great challenge is be my witnesses. Wherever I choose to send you, wherever I choose to place you, be my witnesses. Then the last verse. The last verse, I always hate to say this, is I don't have any favorite verses in all the Bible. I've got a bunch of them that are my favorites, but I love this verse. But this is one of those verses, you know, we're missing, we're missing the great the great challenge. You know, we're missing that. We're not being witnesses. We're missing the great command. We're not loving God and loving our neighbors like we should. But when we get those two together, we're missing this third, this fourth verse big time. Big time. And it's evident in our churches. Matthew 28. You all know it. It's the Southern Baptist Convention's Great Commission verse. Verses 18 through 20. But I want us to quickly back up and look at verse 16 to get us started into this segment here. Now, uh, Acts 1.8, Mark 16.18, uh, I think it is, or 18.16, and Matthew 28.16-20 were, um, were all the same um, activity in the scriptures. They were just viewed from different points of view. You know, and the words that they heard were just a little bit different. But the writers of each one of those books, they were at the same event, the 11. These 11 were at the same event where Acts 1-8 came apart, where Mark 18-16 uh, came, and where Matthew 28-16-20. And that's what it starts out with. And then the 11 came together, the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, which Jesus told them to go ahead, to this mountain where Jesus had directed them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped. They worship Jesus right here. The 11 remaining apostles worship Jesus here. These next two words are crazy words, but some doubted. What did they doubt? What's going on here? I mean, he's with us now, but what's about to happen? They didn't doubt their salvation. They doubted, can I really, really do this? Can I really do what God's calling me to do? All I ever wanted to be was a motorcycle mechanic. Can I really be a music minister? Can I really be a student minister? Can I really be a missionary? We all doubt. Can we really do this for the Lord? When the Holy Spirit has come up on us and Jesus tells us to be witnesses, can we really, really do it? The answer is yes. It's not you that's doing it. It's God doing it through you. He wants willing vessels to serve Him. But some doubt. Jesus came near and said to them, this is it, okay? All authority. Jesus has total authority to make anything happen that Jesus wants to make happen. If we had, we could spend an hour on this one section of verses alone. But the have you ever thought about the authority of Jesus? Jesus had authority over nature. He could walk on water. He could calm the seas. He could move mountains. He could change fruit from live fruit to dead fruit just by the speaking of his voice. 
all authority. Jesus could heal the sick. He could raise the dead. He had authority over diseases. He had authority over body. Do you think about all the authorities? I wish we had time to list all of them. You know, Jesus had all this authority. And what he's saying here is because I have all the authority, this is what I want you to do. You ready? Go. 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 Go in the Greek language is an imperative command. It really means while you are going. As you go. Jesus expects us to go. He says, while you are going, Mateo, Greek word, next one, Mateo, make disciples. Southern Baptist Convention, Lifeway Christian Resources, Tennessee Baptist Convention, Florida Baptist Convention, Georgia Baptist Convention, I could name them all. There is one convention in our SBC right now that has one person whose sole job is to instruct churches and help churches make disciples. 20 years ago, every convention had one. Discipleship director, discipleship leader. Lifeway had one. SBC, everybody had one. But when budget start, cuts started coming out, they looked at it and said, well, we can do without that one. No, we can't. The church is weak today because we have not made the disciples that Jesus commands us to make. And unless we turn the ship and go back to making disciples, it's not going to get any better. It's going to get worse. And I have the numbers to prove it. I'm not going to share them with you today, but I have the numbers to prove that the disciple-making dilemma that we have today, the church dilemma that we have today, the theological dilemma that we have today, the numerical dilemma that we have today, the lack of baptisms and winning people to Christ that we have today is because we have not made disciples of those that God has given us. I liken it to this. brand new baby just came into your family. Grandchild, child, whatever it is. When that grand new baby comes into your family, you ooh and and on, and you're having all kinds of fun with that child and there's all kinds of attention given to that child. And for about three months, you just can't take your eyes off of that child. You can't take your hands off of that child. Everybody wants to hold that child. Three or four months down the road, it gets the new kind of wears off a little bit. You know, it does. Staying up late wears off. Changing dirty diapers wear off and you know, you think you're getting down the road now and you think, okay, maybe maybe this child's getting old enough where they can, okay, I've got to go somewhere. So you take a little notepad and you write on that notepad, when you get hungry, drink this. You stick it to a bottle in the crib and you pull out a diaper and you put it over there. Whenever you soil yourself, use this. And you stick it on the diaper. You stick it in the corner of the crib. You leave the baby in there and you walk away. What's going to happen to that baby? That baby's going to die. That baby's going to die. In our churches, and this is tough, y'all, but in our churches, people walk our aisles. They join our churches. 
They sit on the pew. The newness wears off after a while. And after that newness wears off, because we've not been making disciples, they eventually just start moving out the back door and we don't see them again. My challenge to you today is to make disciples. Brother Tim, how do we do that? I don't know. I have no curlew on that. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You've got it right here. You don't need experiencing God. It's a good study. You don't need master life. It's a good study. You don't need, you know, disciples' prayer life or any of those great studies that we've had in the past that we know even longer think about. All you need is this and two questions. What is God saying to me? And how am I going to respond? Did you get two or three people, you bring them together, and you say, together we're going to read John or James or Matthew or somewhere. And each week we're going to get together for breakfast for 30 minutes and we're going to answer two questions. What is God saying to me and how am I going to apply it to my life? That's Disciple Making Basic 101. That's finding two other people and using the model of Jesus. You know, Jesus had 12 guys in his group. The only three that are ever even mentioned after he ascends to heaven more than once are Peter, James, and John. The rest of the guys, they just go off into oblivion. But you find you two more people. You find you two more people. And you say, let's start making disciples. And for a period of time, one year to three years, you study together, you pray together, you work together, and you challenge those other two to do what you're doing now. And at the end of that period of time, whether it be one year or three years, you say, okay, you two, for 40 days, I want you all now to pray for two more people that you can bring on this journey that we can make disciples and continue that process. I truly believe, I truly believe, y'all, that God will never give a church more people than they can disciple. Because I think God's tired of dead people. There's a whole book that talks about that. I think He wants us to look to the end. He's coming back, y'all. And if He doesn't come back, we're going there. There's a great Great crowd going to be there. How many are you going to take with you? There's a great command. Love your neighbor. Love God. There's a great challenge. Be my witnesses. And there's a great commission. Go. Make the silence. All I ever wanted to be was motorcycle mechanic. The only reason I keep Facebook and the Facebook account is because through the years God has allowed me to disciple a bunch of teens when I was in student ministry. And, and I get to keep up with them and they get to keep up with me. And I see where they are all around the world serving the Lord. My challenge to you is let's get off the pew. Let's wake up. Let's make disciples. Let's take as many 
as we can with us when we get to heaven. I think, I've, I, think I have shared this with y'all before, but I'm going to share it with you one more time, just as, just as a reminder, okay? Because I know what some of y'all are saying. Well, Brother Tim, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the sin that I've committed. God forgives all that. God's willing to use you because listen to this. Adam blamed someone else for his actions. Y'all heard this before. Noah was a drunk. Abraham said he was too old. Lot lived in a sinful city. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid and hid in the cave. Samson had long hair and chased women. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremy and Timothy were considered to be too young to be in the ministry. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Jesus ate with sinners. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than one time. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. Lazarus was dead, and John was exiled. And God used every one of them to do a great work. He can use you too. You've just got to yield to him. You've just got to yield to him. God speaks through his word. God speaks through prayer. God speaks through circumstances that he puts you into. And God speaks through the church and others who are connected to the vine. God is always at work. God is looking for you to join him in his work where he is working. As God speaks to you through his word, through prayer, through circumstances, through others, my challenge to you is to obey him and make disciples of those that he's placed in your path. Will you pray with me?